Well, good morning, Force View, online and in person. My name's Leanne Thorfinson. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, and my husband Tony and two boys, Mark and Nathan, who are now sitting in our living in our family room at home, where I usually am. Uh, so hi, guys. Um, usually they're fighting over who gets to pat the dog, and uh, so it's nice for me to be here. And uh, for those of you who are online, usually Nat has like no audience, and I get an audience today, which is really cool. I actually get real people to speak to, which is kind of nice. So thank you to those of you uh, who are here, just nice for me specifically. So it's my privilege to share a little bit from Ruth this morning, but before we get going, let's just pause for a moment and pray. God, thank you for your word, for the way it teaches us. Uh, We are humbled every time we come into your presence and take time to even look at your word, knowing you are there, willing to teach, anxious to teach, desiring to teach and encourage us. And I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our collective hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I would encourage you to have your Bible handy this morning if you can open it to Ruth chapter 2. But I want to start by just sort of marking today as a moment. Uh, In five days, we will be at one year of when Canada effectively started to shut down with COVID. Uh, It was Friday the 13th last year. If you remember, uh, a few people were still heading out on March break. Many people chose not to. Um, But it was actually a year ago. And I think it's a good milestone to mark, if you will. And for those of you who have not yet been in the Forest View building, I was just reflecting with Tony this morning over coffee that it's a year to the day since I've been in the building. And uh, if you haven't been here, there's a lot of really great changes that have happened. Since then, we've uh, developed a whole new vocabulary Uh, with COVID, and that's going to go up on the screen. All kinds of words that you never used to use and now just roll off your tongue as as part of your regular vocabulary. Physical distancing and curbside pickup, outbreaks, mask wearing, quarantine, restrictions, work from home, uh, CERB for some folks. Uh, Zoom, I bet a number of you wish you bought Zoom stock about a year ago. Um, But all these words that just roll off our tongue, things that, that we didn't really think were going to be part of how we speak and think about things. And then, of course, there's Netflix. And uh, in many ways, for some of you, I'm sure it's been a year of Netflix. I don't have view into the chat, but if you feel like dropping into the chat, those of you who are online, your favorite series that you've watched over the last year, or maybe three or four or five series. And in some ways, uh, when I think about COVID, I feel like we're in this very long Netflix series that never wants to end. And if you have a month for every season, we're in the 13th or 12th or 13th season and it just seems like it's never gonna stop. We're slogging through that middle part. We see the end in sight with vaccines coming, but it does in some ways feel like we won't get there. And so one of the questions I've asked myself and I've asked my uh, work colleagues throughout COVID a couple of times is this question is, who do you wanna be during COVID? Who do you want to be during this year? And this uh, slide that you see on the screen now is one that I got from a work colleague early on in the days of COVID and shared a number of times, just to encourage people to pause and think about what's going on and how you're responding to a very, very difficult time. It's been a very, very hard time for people, especially in the early days, which feels like a long time ago now, times of fear. And you can see on the screen, there's kind of this fear zone where people were hoarding stuff, you couldn't buy anything because the shelves were empty, and then people gradually move into the learning zone where they start to get a different perspective and make yourself aware of the the things that are going on and be thoughtful, and then people slowly move into the growth zone. 
where there's an opportunity to serve and care for others or show empathy or show gratefulness or find ways to adapt to the change. And so I ask, and even still as this, we're still in a hard season, like where are you uh, in this hard time? What do you wanna be and who do you wanna be during COVID? Many have struggled with loneliness, with um, ill health, with job loss, with mental health challenges, depression, anxieties at an all-time high. There's been lots of isolation and people have felt afraid and far away from family. It's a hard time. And while we do see an end in sight, I, I, don't want, to I want to acknowledge that there is a challenge that we're all facing. But I would ask you, where is God at work in the midst of all this? Where is God at work? Talk about hard times, I mean, look at Ruth. She was in a new land, a new community with new people and a new God that she didn't really know terribly well. She had no source of income, no money coming in the door, no job, not that women had too many jobs in those days, but genuinely poor, no protection, no husband, no immediate prospects. And she is a foreigner, she is a Moabitess as Nat reminded us last week. Everybody seems to know that too, as we'll see when we dig into the story. But who's Ruth in the hard times? So we have our share of hard things going on. Who is Ruth and how does she conduct herself in these hard times? Uh, in my role as a human resources professional in the company I work for, part of my responsibility is to call things out of people. And in COVID, it's been a real time of refining to see who the leaders are. And I've challenged people to say, you know, leadership really shows up in hard times. You see who the strong leaders are and you see who are those who are struggling. And uh, I do want to note that we've been very fortunate to have Nat. And so Nat, thank you to you. Thank you, sir. Uh, in a time when you started a new job in uh, anticipation of this new opportunity to lead Forceview, now here you are, uh, a year in, no playbook <laughs> for COVID, no plan, but you've stepped up and led us well, so thank you. That's, is, I know it's not been easy, but you've really shown us leadership. It shows up who we are in hard times. And so let's turn to Ruth chapter two. If you have your Bible handy on your phone or in person, and let's just read the first seven chapters. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, notice how she's referenced immediately, it's Ruth the Moabite. Let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I, have, I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite, notice that again, who came back from Moab, in case you didn't get it the first time, with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. We'll keep reading in a sec. So in this first section, we do learn a little bit about Ruth. We learn a little bit about her character. She's a Moabitess, 
verse two, or verse six in this chapter. She's resourceful. She and Naomi needed to eat, and this was probably the only means they had of gathering any kind of food. She's got a reputation already. She's known in the community. When Boaz asked the overseer, he said, oh yeah, maybe it's a bit of a gossipy community, we don't know, but they seem to know who she was, and she actually has a positive reputation in spite of being from Moab, and she's a hard worker. She's been in the field since the beginning, since the morning. So what's she doing in the field? Gleaning. Uh, so what's that all about? So before we go any further, I've got a little clip for you. So let me, we can roll that first video. Naomi. Harvesting in the fields of Bethlehem began with the reapers. It demanded a strong back and a keen hand. From dawn to dusk, both men and women worked together under the watchful eye of their master. The custom was for the poor to follow the paid workers, gathering the few uncollected stalks of grain which remained scattered about the field. And Ruth gleaned in the field of Boaz. Okay, gives you a little picture of what it might have been like. So let's keep reading in chapter two, verse eight. <clears throat> so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the far harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So here we get a little bit more of a window into Ruth, not uh, just the things we've commented on before, but she's also fearless. She speaks to Boaz like an equal. 
very, very confidently. She's humble in how she refers to herself as a servant, and she's generous and thoughtful when it comes to Naomi. She saved some of her own leftover food to take back to her. So let's watch a bit more. תודה. תמשיכי במעשייך, אל נא תלכי ללכות בשדה אחר. הישארי כאן עם נער. רבותיי. אני... אני אצווה על הנערים שלא להתקרב אליי. אדוני, למה אתה כל כך נחמד אליי? אני נוכריה. הבחנת בי בכלל. סיפרו לי על נאמנותך לנעמי. עזבת את אביך ואת אמך במואב ובאת לארץ שאינך מכירה. אני אתפלל לאדוני, אלוהי ישראל, שיברך אותך. דיברת על ליבי כמו חבר, ואני... עיני על המשרתת. בואי, חלקי עמנו פת לחם. So a little bit of Hollywood there, but still gives you a flavor for what, made have been, what it might have been like. And we get a window here into Boaz's character. We get a, a, an insight into how he is and who he is. So he greets his workers very politely. He's respectful of them. He's kind in how he offers Ruth both protection as well as food and drink. So there's a generous spirit there. He's godly. He actually stops and blesses her in verse 12. He's also generous and inclusive. He invites her to join them for their meal. And finally, he's obedient to God. He's actually obeying an injunction in scripture where God calls out very specifically in Deuteronomy as follows. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. I noticed that uh, Ruth qualifies for both being a foreigner and a widow, and he's being obedient to God in following that command of scripture. So that kind of is the story. Let's talk about what's going on here. Is this all coincidence? Ruth and Naomi just happened to show up back in Israel at the beginning of the barley harvest. They just happened to show up in uh, Boaz's field And it just happens to be that he's one of their closest, one of Naomi's closest relatives. All coincidence? I don't think so. I think this is one of this amazing times when God is at work orchestrating events to bring, to bring about his purposes. And he uses our choices and decisions, even as he uses Ruth and Naomi's choices and decisions to bring about his purposes. 
And this is all how God weaves things together. Our, his plan, and he takes us as threads, if you will, and weaves a tapestry. His purposes are interwoven with human decisions and will to accomplish what his plan is, his redemptive plan. And so they offer themselves to him. Ruth offered herself to God. She said, your God will be my God. And then he took what she offered and made her part of his story, part of his plan. Please notice, uh, I didn't highlight the character of these two people because it's, you know, good things happen to good people. It doesn't work like that. This is a story in scripture where it happens to be people with uh, some great characteristics. I mean, Ruth really shows up and shines in a hard time. But the Bible's full of stories and each one of us can tell stories of struggle, of sin, of things where things, have, of places where things have gone wrong and God has woven us into his story. But make no mistake, there is a larger plan. And God is always at work. So let's take that as a given. Let's take the given that God's always at work, whether we notice, whether we're aware or not, because I'm not sure God actually promises to let us know what he's doing. I think he just promises he'll be at work. And I think we're pretty good, actually, at inviting God into our day-to-day, into our day-to-day lives, our decisions, our opportunities, the choices that we have in front of us. When we need wisdom, uh, James says, if you need wisdom, ask of God and he will give it to you without being judgmental. He'll give it liberally. And we're very good at asking God, I think, as we grow as Christians, to ask God, help me with this test today at school. Help me with this coworker that I need to have a tough conversation with her. Help me in this presentation or this interaction or this decision. Help me, God, figure out what to do with the family issues on my plate. And all of that is right and good, and we're to do those things. But sometimes I think God also says, instead of head down, get your head up and have a look at what I'm doing around you. See what I am up to. Let's continue the story and read the last few verses of chapter two, starting at verse 19. Her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with together, or worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, that's God, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Look at the transformation we see here in Naomi. And remember back to chapter one when her viewpoint was very different. It is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Don't call me Mara because the, she says, don't call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She was pretty down. And look at the transformation now in verse 20 of chapter two. Head up. Oh my goodness. 
God's at work. He has not stopped showing his kindness. That's that word chazad, you know, that chazad that we heard from Nat. My Hebrew is not good. But it's that same word from, uh, that we heard about kindness earlier in chapter one. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. God was here at work and I didn't notice. I just didn't see it. I just wasn't aware. I didn't know it. And you can hear the transformation in her voice. You can hear the energy where she says, oh my goodness, look at what God's been doing around me and in me. And she's gonna see, now I've got a life. There's a potential future ahead for us. God has been work ever present in this hard time. And similarly for us, God has been ever present, ever at work during this time of COVID, which is admittedly a hard time. But it raises an interesting question for us. And in my Lenten readings this, uh, this season, I came across a really good little passage in uh, some readings I use. It's old, it's paper, it's not even online. But I wanna read it to you because I love this question. Is this life primarily about inviting, me inviting God into my life or God inviting me into his? So let me read this. I'm gonna read that again. Is this life primarily about God, uh, about me inviting God into my life or God inviting me into his. When I wake up in the morning, is the first thought that crosses my mind about me or about God? As I'm getting ready for work and mentally running through the tasks I've scheduled in my day, do I ask what God sees when he looks at my day? I've learned I don't have to work very hard to be preoccupied with myself. I seem to come by that pretty naturally. But if this life isn't really about the small, brief story of me, then I've gotta go on a journey of learning to relate to and respond to and pay attention to God because it's his story. Ruth invited God into her life. Where you go, I will go, she said to Naomi, and your God will be my God. And God subsequently invited her into his story. A Moabite, a widow, a woman with no prospects, becomes part of God's master plan, his master redemptive plan, and ultimately, as we see later in, this, in the book, she becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus. It's fantastic. But I notice that it's Naomi who gets her, heads up, gets her head up and notices that God's at work. In the midst of the, the, the difficult circumstances they find themselves in, she realizes and said, oh my goodness, God's been at work amongst the living and the dead. She sees what God's been doing. And so Ruth, this tiny little book of four pages in my Bible of 1170 pages, she and Naomi become an important part of God's story. Just that tiny little piece. An important part of God's story of redemption. And so are we. You are and I am. And well, we may live 20, 50, 70, 90 years. Sounds like a lot. It's a small piece of the grand history of God. And yet we are part of that. Where is God at work in you and around you? In your spouse, in your kids, in your coworkers, in COVID, that you maybe just haven't noticed. And so during this year of pandemic, where's God been at work? because we know he's always at work. 
And maybe, friends, there's an opportunity to pause and pray and ask God, please open my eyes to show me what you're up to and what you've been up to all along. We might be surprised, but it's a great prayer. One final thought. Besides asking God to open our eyes, uh, when I was in university and part of a, a church group, we read, uh, I read this book by Stephen Olford about revival and calling on God for revival. And uh, there was a phrase that stuck out in that uh, reading for me that's been with me my whole life, and it's just as simple as this, and that is, put yourself in the way of blessing, or put yourself in the path of blessing. Now I laugh about this because our golden retriever, whose name is Hudson, uh, like the other two golden retrievers I've had in my life, has this amazing ability to put himself in the middle of the hallway where everybody walks all the time because he knows we'll stop and pet him on the way by. And every golden retriever, I'm sure there are other dogs that do the same, but he's just got a knack. He's always in the way, even when I'm doing my laps around the house to, on the phone or whatever. Pay attention to me, he says. But he's putting himself in the path, the way, of, the, the way of blessing. And for us, it's the same kind of thing. There's this idea that we know what we're supposed to do as Christians. We know what God's called us to do. Pray, read his word, fellowship with other Christians, be part of the church, contribute, share our faith, give to the poor, fast. All those things that we know are practices and habits that are part of being one of God's children. And it also includes putting yourself out there. So that whatever your path is, it will be intersecting with God's path on a regular basis. Ruth did it. She did it in words. Your God will be my God. And then she did it with actions. She went out into the field. It reminds me of that verse in Proverbs chapter three, five and six that we all know so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Ruth went out into the fields to glean. She put herself in the way of blessing. She thought somebody might find favor with her, and God did, and brought her right into the middle of of his story. He noticed. He notices us. He's at work. And sometimes we just need to get our heads up and have a look around and see what he's doing. So let's pray. Sovereign God, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, the world and all who live in it. Thank you for including the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz in your scriptures so that we might learn more about your purposes. Forgive us for all the hours we spend trying to make this life about us. Have mercy on us, on our lack of eternal perspective. Help us to lift our eyes up today and set them beyond the things of this world. And then would you set the circumstances of our everyday against the backdrop of your grand, epic, eternal story. Thank you, God, for linking our lives with yours. Help us, both individually and collectively, to live accordingly in ways that please you. Thank you for making us part of your story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.